1935, the Lions win the NFL championship. The Detroit Tigers take the World Series. The Red Wings bring home Lord Stanley's Cup. Joe Lewis begins his rise to world domination. This transforms the Motor City into Detroit, City of Champions. Game on, Detroit City of Champions podcast. This is episode one. I'm Jamie Flanagan. Charles Avison. Charles, you wrote a trilogy of books. You started out with one, Detroit City of Champions, uh, and then you continued on with the the players and uh, more of the players. So there's a whole trilogy that covers this this year, this magnificent year in Detroit sports, uh, 1935, what led up to it, uh, the, the ripple effect afterwards. Uh, but really, 1935 is, is the crux of, of what's going on in these books. Why is 1935, and we're going to dive into this in this podcast, all the players, all the people, uh, but what what is so important about 1935? Well, you actually left out one thing, ah. and it's and, here, and the thing about it is, um, you left out one thing that I that I wrote, and it and it's really the beginning of the story, as far as my story and why I guess you can see, uh, maybe why I you know feel how important it is, and it is it's uh, when I was a senior at Western in 2005, and I just come back from the University of Edinburgh, Scotland, uh, as a, like research history was like my main thing. That's what I was. That's what I've always loved to do. Uh, you know, write history, read history. And um, it was my senior year at Western, and a, f- a couple friends of mine were just like just hanging out in my my apartment, drinking beer, hanging out in that. And one of my friends had an old Detroit Tiger media guide, and he and he, we were just going through random facts and figures, you know, like some sports sports nerds, I guess you could say. And we came across the the fact that it said that the the Tigers, Lions, and Red Wings had all won their championships in the same season. And I'd never heard that fact. I, I, I was, you know, I was a diehard Detroit sports, you know, fan, and yeah. I just never heard of that fact. In fact, I didn't even really know. That's why we were looking it up because I didn't even know what year at that point, what year the Tigers had even won their first championship. I thought maybe the Ty Cobb years did, you know, Ty Cobb did at some point, and and I didn't know at that point. And so, anyways, um, so when my friend read the, this fact that it said that the three teams had all won their championships in the same year, I, I thought it was pretty, you know, kind of a cool uh, fact. And I had I was actually taking a sports history class at that moment. Oh, okay. And so I had a two page paper due. So this is what I'm kind of getting at here is I had to work on this two page paper, and I want, I figured uh, make this make this the subject um, of this paper. And I could not find enough information to fill a two page paper. Really? Yes. I mean, I could confirm the fact that the three teams had all done it. Um, in fact, it, it, what I found in you know in the initial exploration of this is that there was there there wasn't just the that the three teams had in fact won, but it wasn't just three random championships. It was the first for each team. Man, so that so that the, that fact, I was like, that's the easiest trivia question that I've ever heard of. I've yeah. never, I can't believe like what year did each team win their first championship? You know, what year did the Tigers win their first World Series? What year did the Lions win their first NFL championship? The Red Wings their first Stanley Cup. It's the same season. 1935, the Red Wings carries a little bit into 36, but it was that it was that 1935 season. It's the easiest trivia question that, like, I mean, everybody in Detroit should know, and, yeah. and I had never heard of this. No. And so, uh, and so I ended up uh, making my thesis to graduate from Western, and and uh, it had to be like a 30 page paper. And I was worried because of the lack of information, um, you know, like how, really how I was even going to do this 30 page paper. But when I went to the original newspapers from 1935, I had no more concerns because. What I what I found when I went to those original newspapers was this, was this is the this is the biggest story that that nobody has ever heard of. I mean, that, like in fact, it was there was so much information. Um, I mean, you have the rise of Joe Lewis. You have thirty three championships. You have um, you have you have a, a a testimonial dinner at the end of the year where the governor of Michigan City Council of Detroit declared the the, the day of the dinner Champions Day. Um, I mean, this the, as you mentioned, the ripple effect that runs through. 
that runs from that time till now that it just it created the notion that Detroit you know this was Detroit was a sports town and so it was just like in fact the 30 pages I had to work on was much too small and that's what led me to like I had to actually summarize it to get it into 30 pages and then so after I graduated college I I you know I was really I just was I just maintained my interest in it and I just kind of just kept doing my own little exploratory research in the libraries and the more that I looked, the more that I found, and I and, then, and so I ended up writing my first book. I write, wrote the first book on the subject. It was the, it focuses on the season itself. Um, I call it the title of the book is Detroit City of Champions: um, The Story of the Most Important Season in Detroit Sports History. And then when I was no sooner had I finished with the first book that like I mean even just along the way of doing the first book I realized I mean you've got so many teams like the like well really the big the big thing that I came across was that. Um, the, is that as much as the season was forgotten, so were the players. And yeah. we have some of the greatest personalities, the greatest, I mean, some of the greatest players in Detroit sports history were in these, were on these teams. In sports history, period. In sports, exactly. In sports history, period. But, but in the, but in the, like the folklore of Detroit, yeah. in, especially in this time, these people, these, these athletes were like, I mean, they were, you know, they were less than gods, but they were more than men back in that time. They were incredible. And so they were just like the fascination. Um, in fact, if, like, if you go on eBay and that, you'll find like, if you look up 1935 Detroit, you find like old scrapbooks, you find that are just loaded with every clipping of every game. I've just seen like these, these, these people, I mean, it was, it was just absolutely huge in that time. And so, and so that was the thing. So I, so I wanted to bring, you know, I wanted to really, I wanted to bring the players, the people that the players that had made the story to the forefront, and that's what really the the first book was. Um, was the first book is a little over a year of writing, but you know, I, in addition to the three months for the original thesis, which is what it was built on. But the second two books were six years. Wow! And so, and, you know, because there, there were so many players, and the information on in the players is so tough to find. I mean, I was I was looking. I mean, I was using I was finding old matchbooks that, I, that you know trying and using those as reference points and, and old game pro like. Some game programs were like seven hundred dollars to acquire a game program just to get the information on a player. You know, I'd like buy the game program for seven hundred bucks and then resell it on eBay. I'd, I'd just be getting it just for the information. Oh my you know, Some people are using it for a collector's item. <laughs> I was getting it just just to get the information about these players because there was you know such a lack of information. On we got to so. put that in your back pocket. We got to take yeah. notes that when you get to one of these players that you had to harvest that information. Oh, you'll see in it. an extraordinary way. You'll see you gotta, it. In you got to point those out because oh, yeah, we're yeah. we're gonna dive into sure. to all of it. I want to I want to sure. hear about. Oh all yeah, of it. it's yeah. I was remiss because that's I love that I love that backstory because. I I, I, my question usually is, you know, tell me about your childhood, yeah, and that yeah. is uh, that yeah. is uh, that's uh, awesome. That that it was a, a two page paper that has yeah. spawned spawned this. We met at a because you 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 work at hard. You you go out and you're selling oh, I, this yeah. at street fairs mm-hmm. and and just wherever you can get the word out about the book. And we met at a street fair. Sure. And I was just I, I'm. I, if anybody knows me, I know nothing about nothing about nothing about sports. But I, I love Detroit. Uh, I love history. Um, I love the city, and I love how excited people. I know I don't. I, I'm not a sports guy at all. I never really played much. You know, I ran track. You know, that's that's my extent of sports. Sure. But uh, I, I love going to games. Right. Just and and it's just a thing about being in Detroit and and going into uh, one of the the arenas or the stadium, uh, and just that that feeling. 
and I've been in other cities, and it's a different vibe. It, it definitely, you know, sure. our opening day is is like an almost like a <laughs> like you would think it's a national holiday. Yeah, sure, uh, just for the Tigers and their opening day. It's it's it, Detroit is just passionate about it, and you really think it springs from this nineteen thirty five year. Absolutely, the, you know, the, and, I, and I talk a lot about it in the books. Um, the, you know, the idea being, you know, one of the things that um, uh, is to look at the timing of when it took place, nineteen thirty five. Uh, Detroit was in the middle of the Great Depression. Yeah. Statistically speaking, Detroit was the hardest hit city in the country. Um, Detroit, Detroit was going through hell at that moment. I mean, they they'd been through hell. Maybe, maybe they're a little bit, you know, coming back a little bit. But for all, but the, but the other thing, you know, besides just the economic misery behind it, um, uh, you know, you're you're you're, you're dealing the, the teams themselves. It's a completely different sports landscape in the middle of the 1930s. And really, that's you know kind of where you know the story begins because you it's because um, so just to get just sort of for the Tigers, the Tigers had, were, were terrible prior to 1934. The Tigers really came out of nowhere in 1934. We know what that's like. But the Tigers were abs <laughs> prior to 1934. The Tigers were absolutely dreadful. They okay. were terrible. They were they finished in fifth place. Uh, five consecutive years. They were terrible. Right, right. Out of six teams. Uh, no, there was uh, – oh, I, I think it was uh, eight uh, – what was it? Eight or ten teams. Okay, yeah. But, yeah, but, but they were but, – yeah, Middle they, of the pack second, at they best. They called them second division. They were called yeah. the second division team. And so anyways um, – and so anyways, they um, – you see the Tigers at the end of 1933 – there's a there's a guy named there was a, a newspaper reporter called Iffy the Dopester, and the, it, 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 yeah. He, so Iffy, it's, it's crazy Iffy the because Dulpster. it's crazy because it's weird because somebody has written on the name of Iffy for there. I've seen when I was growing up, I saw a couple Iffy the Dopester articles, and I'm, I can't remember if it was a modern day person yeah. taking their name, but but it was. Um, I want to uh, start a band called that. His name, his name, his, his real name was Malcolm Bingay, and he was uh, he'd worked for the Detroit. I believe he worked for the Detroit and the Free Press. Uh-huh. But, but anyways, at Iffy the, of, the Dulpster. So at the end of 1933, the Tigers were absolutely dreadful. Um, the players were either too young or they were too old. Um, and the, the owner of the Tigers, Frank Navin, his health was absolutely terrible. It was so bad that um, that the that there was people like all of his closest friends and advisors were telling him, "You've got to sell the team. You've got to sell the team. You know, you're just for your own health because it's killing you." But anyways, the, but the, just just the, the sports landscape in 1935, I guess, is what, it, what I'm trying to hone in on. So the Tigers were absolutely dreadful. Their attendance mm. at the end of 1933 was the worst it had been since 1907. Oh, it was. I mean, it was just. It was. I mean, okay. in the middle of the Great Depression, people yeah. got way better yeah, things yeah. to do than go spend their what little money they have on watching a team that reminds them on a daily basis of their current sad sack situation. And so, and so that the attendance was horrendous. Um, the, again, there was no really excitement with the Tigers team. And then the Lions didn't exist. There was no Detroit Lions. The NFL tried three times prior to the nineteen to, to nineteen thirty four thirty five to to um to to uh, bring to bring an NFL team in the city, and the, and they had failed three times. Hmm. And so so you know of course Detroit was an attractive destination for an NFL team, but you know without any in the middle of the Great Depression, I mean they had failed three times in the Roaring Twenties, and so what, you know there was no chance to bring a, an NFL team. In the middle of the Great Depression, I mean, yeah. maybe a you know maybe a fourth chance to bring a team when you know would be you know might be possible, but not till after the Great Depression was sure. over. People had money, and then so the Detroit Red Wings they changed their name three times in five years. Uh. I mean, this was the third name of the team, and so um, and so you and so the in the in the fans that came to watch the Red Wings, the fans that came to watch the team. Um, that you have you have uh, the the coaches and the Red Wings owners at the time like like almost depressed because what little fam- hockey was not Detroit was not a hockey town at that time. Yeah. The, in fact, the the main bulk of their 
attendance was Canadian fans coming from Windsor. Mm. So it created this strange appearance at the games where when the Red Wings were losing, the fans were excited. <laughs> and when the fans, you see what I'm saying? Like yeah, the, yeah, the, the awkwardness of the, you know, like they're, you know, so, so whenever, yeah, so whenever the Red Wings score a goal, everybody's all mad. You know, yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. not sustainable for Players all down city. on the ice are like, do you people not know how this works? Exactly. You're supposed to cheer for us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was, so that was, that was the, that was the, you know, so the Red Wing, they're like, well, we're, you know, we're barely surviving, you know, yeah. so they can't like throw the, you know, Canadian, like, no, we want only Detroit fans because yeah. they're sure. You know, they, so it created this really strange, you know, scenario. Where, where was the the league at that point? Because you, you hear so much about the uh, the original great six. Great question. Yeah, yeah. Well, at that time there was eight. Okay, so, so yeah. it had been up. It was up to eight. At yeah, that point. I mean, it okay. fluctuated a little bit. Sure. Like in 1933, I forget because the because the because uh, you had Ottawa. Ottawa was, I think, there might have been there might have been nine in 1933, but in 30 in 35, 36, there was eight because there was a lot of fluctuation within those couple of years. So that's one of the things. The original six refers to the idea that the Great Depression knocked off two more teams okay. off of those eight. And so when the Great Depression was over, there was only six left. And so and that's why they say the original six, because it, that the original six actually refers to the 1950s era where there was only six teams left. Okay. So that's what that's um, it's kind of a misnomer because people say the original six are like those were the six first six teams, you know, ever in NHL history. There yeah. was way more teams before the original six, way, like way more. I mean, there was at one point, I think the league was up to 10 or 12 teams. There yeah. Was a lot of teams. And, you know, changing their names and everything like this. So, yeah, well, that's when you said that the the wings had changed their names three times, and I'm like, well, mm-hmm. they're the original six, and this is already 1935. Yeah. What what uh, you know? How does that original six come into play? Yeah. So, I, and I'm sure when we do, because we'll do an episode just yeah. on the wings, you, you and go, then yeah, there's a, some fantastic. So the Red Wings have some of my favorite stories. They're so such a great. We'll story. dive into that. Yep. So okay, so there's the landscape for it. It's, yeah, so it's, it's dreadful. It's a, that's what I'm saying. So it's a it's a horrible. So it's not just a, a rough economic time, but just to summarize. Tigers are dreadful. Red Lions don't exist. Red Wings have changed their name three times in five years. And, and the joke around town at that point was uh-huh. that Jack Adams, who was the coach and general manager of the team, was exchanging potatoes for tickets. <laughs> like, that was the joke around town because, like, nobody cared. They're like, no, I don't even want to give you a potato for a ticket. You oh, know? Like, no. they didn't even, like, that was the sports landscape. The Detroit before 1934-35 was the farthest thing from a sports town. Um, there's there's one other one other um, thing too Gar Wood which I really can't wait till we get to Gar Wood the, yeah. the speedboat racer and Detroit was also the home of um, Gar Wood and the you know in the, the you know the, the like speedboat racing was was becoming supreme in Detroit at that point so that is so that that really of all the sports speedboat race if you were talking about sports tonight in the 1930s speedboat racing was king that was our baseball point of and pride that were, and that was it right yeah baseball and all that like they were I mean they were of course they were Tiger fans. But um, but they, but usually like at that time it was really like de- the Tigers were a Detroit team like whereas now like Detroit you know the Tigers, um you know Detroit like everybody from Michigan identifies with the Tigers everybody from Michigan comes there's like entire Michigan broadcasting networks, um but in the thir- but in that at that time Detroit was like really like you know the was like the Tiger you know the, the Tigers were like Detroit's team. And so it was. It didn't have that radial, um, you know, draw like that. I mean, I'm not saying there wasn't people from Michigan, but you know, it was. It wasn't like it is today. That's for sure. And so that's what I mean. Like, so really, if you were to go back to 1930s and, and look at Detroit as a sports landscape, yeah. it, you're the primal, the the primary thing that you would hear, you know, the the interest would be in would be speedball racing. And that's what I'm saying. Like this season, as we'll you know get into, is really. The fulcrum. It's really the you know the, the the turning point for Detroit in one year. I mean, I even have art. I even have quotes in 1936 after this all took. It was all done. 
And they actually say in there, this was the birth of our they, – they say Detroit is the capital of the sports world. And they even say if you were to go back prior to this season, they're like nobody cared. And then they say like if you – I mean I have quotes you know, from these writers at that time saying – you know, the last you know twelve months have made everyone here a sports fan. Everyone, and so you know, it really was this you know in the middle of the depression when you have all this you know there was nothing really to get excited about. You know, Detroit was the Motor City, but the auto industry was in the toilet. Yeah, this yeah. is you know this is years before you know before Motown and music and all the things. So their main identity was in the toilet, and now they have a new identity as far as one of the great sports sounds in the country after having done something so incredible. So, but it was pretty dismal. Uh, so, what was the turning point? Was it was it the what did the Tigers kind of take the lead on that? With uh, what was the turning point? How did yeah. things begin to shift? So this that's you know that's um, in the, in the very first in the very first book I have a quote where it was I, I, it was so cool to see this uh, this article that I found. Um, and really, everything in my book is all based off of articles, original articles. Like the, what I what I try to do with these is is I let my goal of these was to let the people of the 1930s tell the story. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of acted as a narrator. I tried to like, like, you know, I use a ton of like newspaper clippings. Um, and basically like, I just stitched them together. Like I said, like, okay, here's the situation. I get to give like a little backstory. And then I, I just like tr- as much as possible, turn it over to them to tell the story because I wasn't there, you know, I, mean, yeah. I was, I had no idea. And so when you let them tell the story, you just really dive in and see like the flavor of everything. You see like what they were thinking and what they were in the article, um, that I'm thinking about now, it's, it, was, it was called uh, – his name was Harry LeDuc. And I have to double-check what newspaper I – I think it was the Detroit News. But he was – but he said uh, – but the article, he said it, it's, it's what's it's – what's, uh, what it, it's, uh, it's what's in the heart, in the mind, and in the, in the mob, I believe, is the name of the article. It's right <laughs> off the, one of the first articles I cite in the first book. Oh, you got me. All right. Yeah, and, and in the mob, meaning like the, you know, the group. Oh, okay. okay. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so nothing, nothing, any, nothing untoward. All oh, right, 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 right. But, I was excited for Yeah, yeah. No, but I'm no. still excited. <laughs> but anyways, they uh, – but the idea was is, again – uh, and this is what's interesting, and this is this is one of the reasons why, like, really, you know, one of the things that the elements that piqued my interest was that was is that is uh, the possibility that I mean, he actually approached it almost as like a study. Like, excuse me, he um he looked at it and he says he said what is he said he said is there something in the water of Detroit that has made us like so great like what like what has made us win like this I mean is there something in the water is there something that the, the we feed the players that has made them all champions because again it wasn't just the three teams you had the Tigers Lions Red Wings um, but you also have the rise of Joe Lewis which is as we'll see was like this was the sig- that was the signature event of the of the country in 1935 mm. not just Detroit. And so you have you know, a total of thirty-three championships. I mean, every sport. This newspaper we got right here. This is yeah. this, this is a, a replica of a Detroit Free Press that, that shows at a glance uh, just how great this season was. This only has twenty-one of the thirty-three champions on it. And so this is what they're looking at. Understand what is it that made this city win? And so, and this is what he explored. He so the concept that, that he got at, and I and I fully agree with this with this um, theory. I guess you could call it um, is the idea that. Uh, is that once the team started, the D- Detroit needed something to get excited about at this time. Yeah. They they were like they, I mean, they were just looking for something excited to do, and so when these teams started even playing remotely well, um, the fans got ex- you know they started going to games and having fun, and, and and so anybody that's ever played sports can tell you like there's a whole different, there's a especially if you're ever watching a game like when a team's winning and every. But um, but when a team is winning, okay, when a team yeah. is winning and the city is excited and they're going to like every game, there's a whole different. It's a huge difference because 
like for, like like the fans are engaged with every little thing that a player does. Like if he pulls his back pocket out because it's like a good luck thing. Yeah. Like every time he goes to the batter's box, they're like, oh, he pulls his pocket out. Like like every, they're engaged. Like every time he like does a certain smirk on his face towards a different drag. Like oh my, they're like oh my god, he just did that because you know like this like or like every single like if he's like if he's like they're they're engaged with like the battles between the pitcher and the hitter. Like they're you know like. They're you know what they're 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 just engaged with everything that's going on. They can see every nuance. They're like the players that are up there. They're um like they're they're tuned in with the crowd. You see what I'm saying? It's a whole yeah. different. It's you know you see what I'm saying like the crowd is there to support them rather than so. And he actually says his exact words were um, he says in Detroit we're we we say uh, you know go out there and give them all you got. Kid. We're with you. And instead of there's a whole different mentality saying. Uh, you know, we just paid you a bunch of money. Now go out there, and if you don't, if you don't win, or if you don't produce, we're gonna boo you. You know, there's a whole different uh. thing. It's a whole different mentality when they're like, "We're just behind you." And that was like this. That was like the sort of that was what they tapped into was like, "We are with you." You know, yeah. they're, they're like the expectations were, especially in 1934. You know, which is like is the primary year for all this. They were they were just with them. They weren't like you know like there was real the expectations like again especially in 1934 were were just non-existent because of how bad they had all had yeah. all had been and and so it was like you know like go out there and get your kid we're with you you know and so that was so that's what I'm saying so like when when the crowd that's what he was talking about you know be in the mind you know the mob was that when the fans are you know like the entire fan base is with you. You, you know that's you know it it, it creates that extra. Um, I think nowadays they call it like the twelfth man. You know, yeah, in the stadiums yeah, yeah. because there's in a football stadium there's eleven men on a team and then the twelfth man is the crowd. So yeah. those call themselves like the twelfth man. So it's that it's that sort of concept, which is that a, you know that the fans when people are behind you like that, you know, it, you know it um it, it it elevates you. You know, you can, it's almost. I mean, in a way, it's almost like a magic. It's almost like a magic. It can it can. I think that it can elevate a, um, a a person or a team's level of play, and and I th- and, and I agree. I think from everything I've read, I think that that really was what led to this domino effect. Where once these teams started winning, they just you know it was just like something that you know it actually you know it, it, as they got deeper into these seasons, they actually started to become more pressure. Like on the Red Wings now, like they had they had to win. Like yeah. they, you know, like they were the whole city was finally turning out for them. To watch their games, they wanted to see this final piece of the City of Champions puzzle, and like so for them, like there was pressure on them. But I think that again, you know, for for a team that was you know playing in front of sparse crowds, all of a sudden now every single night's a sellout at Olympia Stadium with you know fourteen thousand fans a game. You know, they just like they're like, man, the fans are with us. You know, they're really really excited, and and you know, I think that's what elevated. I think that's what I think. So in so in the the boating and Gar Gar Wood, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So people were really positive about him because he was just he was just unstoppable uh yeah. people were excited about that and then it turns to the tigers so were the tigers the first one on an upswing because well, you said the, the tigers, lions didn't now we're exi- getting into the story and so it really bears i was actually going to go for a second i was going to go into it we were talking about the 30s in general the sports landscape yeah but more specifically do we need did. more background no, on the 30s i think, I think we're good that so that, but it, it, it because that really the the tigers is really where it all begins the yeah. Tigers is really where it all begins okay so 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 at the end of 1933, I, me- I mentioned uh, Iffy the Dopester because because there was a thing called the um, Iffy had called it the the Riot Act. There was an article that said Iffy issues the Riot Act because Iffy said Iffy li- just had this huge article where he was just just pure anger towards the you know just about the Tigers. He was yeah. like 
he's like, you know, we have no money yet. The people that, you know, the diehards still come to the games and the product we have is dreadful. You know, he's, he was just like, he's like, either do something. He was actually like telling, you know, the owner, like, do something or get rid of the team to somebody that can. Because, you know, it was all, I mean, it was just, it was, they were, he was so, the article was like so, so angry about it. And so, um, and so Frank Navin, again, I mentioned Frank Navin, the owner of the Tigers, his, his like the thing that the thing that the thing that differentiated Frank Navin was one of the most well-respected executives in the history of baseball. A lot of times these modern fans might know him because like every time like Ty Cobb would like, he was always like in battles with Ty Cobb over his contract disputes. Like he was, there was, there was a lot of ton of contract disputes with Ty Cobb. And so that's really, I think a lot of times that people, um, how that whenever that's the mo- most of the time when they hear Frank Navin's name is he was like the miser of an owner that uh. never paid Ty Cobb or uh. always kind of, you know, was always you know tightwad with Ty Cobb. Like that's like kind of how he's been portrayed. But in his day, Frank Navin was. I mean, he was one of the most respected owners in the game. Oh. And 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 he was he was like, if it wasn't for Frank Navin, I can yeah, yeah. confidently say that we would not have at least not in the form that we have the Tigers now. Um, Navin was Navin was the Tigers in the early 1900s. I mean, he started off as a bookkeeper for the original owner. Wow. The book. Um, he he won like this this little uh, power struggle with Ed Barrow, who Ed Barrow became a. Um, Became the GM, one of the greatest general managers in baseball history. As the, he rebuilt the Yankees, the 1930s dynasty Yankees. So, he, so I mean, there's a you know up in the air whether we should have kept that Barrow, but but uh, in either case, Navin was so that you know he won the controlling controlling interest of the team from the original owner um, and from two successive owners, and then. Uh, and then he, so once he, like he, so Navin, unlike all the other owners in baseball, his, like all the other owners were, were businessmen who yeah. bought into ba- major league baseball as a, um, as like a, as a, uh, as like a hobby. Well, Navin, that the baseball was his primary business. Right. You know, he evolved as a baseball owner. And like, so if he didn't turn a profit off the team, then he was not, then there was no, you know, there was, you know, he's, he has no money, yeah. you know, like even private money. He doesn't even have you know, money to pay his bills for his house. So, yeah, because most sports owners today are, are millionaires in other exactly, respects, and yeah. these are their toys. Exactly. <laughs> the teams are like, the teams are, you know, they're sportsmen. So, yeah. they say, you know, they're doing it for fun. Well, Navin, I mean, he was doing it for fun. He did it for, the, he loved the Tigers. And so, you know, but the Tigers' survival was, he was dependent on turning a profit on them and able hmm. to reinvest in the ballpark. Um, and reinvest in the team and everything what, like this. What stadium were they? Where, where were they playing at the time? Uh, well, the, the the original ballpark was uh, was uh, Bennett Field. Bennett, yeah, Bennett Field, and then and then it became Navin Field. They yeah. named it like when they when they um, uh, made it. I believe it was 1918 when it became Navin Field. It was like uh, it was Bennett all the way up till I believe it was 1918. Uh-huh. Um, but anyways. Uh, the um, but anyways, so when he was building the Navin Field, um, that was uh, they, uh, um, you know, he was asking other people like, "What should I name it?" And like, they were all like, they were all unanimous. They're like, "Frank, you built this park." You know, I mean, like he was able to t- turn the money that he had made off the Tigers, you know, like and turn that into the money to build this new ballpark, which which. Um, so they were like, you got to give it your name. I mean, oh, this cool. is Navin Field. And so right. they all basically convinced him to turn. So long and short of it is um, – so, so, so anyway, so going in so – so the Tigers were Navin's baby, okay? Yeah, and so yeah, go, yeah. at the end of 1933, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't ignorant of the situation. He knew that – It was the, abysmal at the end of 33. It, it was terrible. It right. was absolutely terrible. I mean the, the finances were terrible. He had no money. He, in fact, he'd taken on the business partner, uh, Walter Briggs. And that in this, in, which ended up becoming the name Briggs Stadium, is, is a, you know people will know the, the you know Tiger Stadium as Briggs Stadium. But it, so he took on Walter Briggs um, as a is like a is a partner just to help him defray a lot of the costs, infuse some capital in it. Yeah. 
um, because Fr- Navin actually lost most of his fortune during the stock market crash because he'd been investing in some other stuff, you know, with some of his team money in, into the stock market, and he got completely cleaned out. And so, so every so, so, so not only is the team horrible. But Navin himself is basically bankrupt. He has got no money. Okay. The Tigers have no money. You know, like they, it's just a terrible situation. And the team is, and the dominant team at this time is the New York Yankees. Lou Gehrig, uh, Babe Ruth, um, Tony Lazari, Bill, Bill Dickey. I mean, this is a, you know Lefty Gomez. <laughs> it's the the nineteen thirties yeah. Yankees are one of the most dominant teams yeah. in the history of baseball. I mean, okay. and that's what they're in there. They got the these, their team is like they got a couple maybe guys, but they're like too young or too old, and they're terrible. So. Every, and Navin has a heart attack. And so it was like the – I forget it was like the second or third one he had. Like his, his health was terrible. Yeah. And so all of his – all the doctors all tell him, uh, you know, you got to sell this team because it's killing you. You know, first of all, if you sell the team, you're going to get some money. So you only should have some money for yourself. And you can retire and take it easy, you know. And, you know, they're not going anywhere and the yeah. stress is killing you. So – and so that's what, um, so that, that's where he's at at this moment, at the end of 1933. And so this, and this is, this is, I think, one of my, one of my favorite parts of the entire story. This of what happens next is that he, is that he doesn't sell. He doesn't sell. In <laughs> I, fact, I love that. he borrows money. He mortgages virtually everything he has yeah. to go in. And I believe it was, he goes, he borrows money from his business partner, $100,000 in the Great Depression, which is an insane amount of money. We got to math that out. Yeah, to this we got to do some kind of, yeah. All right, 100000 in 1934. Yeah. All right, keep going. 1930, yeah, 1933, so 1934. And I, I really am curious to see the spending power because, you know, it's just like apples are going for a penny or something, you know, so. Anyways, so he mortgages his hundred thousand dollars, and he goes out and he get and he buys from the from because the, the Philadelphia Athletics at that moment are the are the hardest hit. They're also in a terrible financial situation, so he goes out and he buys Mickey Cochran, the 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 A's, the one of the greatest, if not the greatest catcher in baseball at that time. And a famous winner, they, baseball history regards Mickey Cochran as, as like second behind only Ty Cobb as like the winningest player, you know, just a fiercely intense um, player as when it you know ma- player when it came to winning, and so he brought in Mickey Cochran as his catcher and manager to be a catcher manager for the Tigers, and so and so everybody's looking at Navin going, what are you doing? You know, Frank, one guy's not going to make a difference. You know, he just blew your – you mortgaged everything. Yeah, $1.9 100000 in 1934 okay. today. But I don't one, know if that's representative. I know that's the exchange rate, but yeah. the, the inflation rate. But, but still, the spending power at the time Oh yeah. For, you know, that's what I mean. Like the spending power of a hundred, like the you know the the, the like the and this was the middle of the depression. Amount. Exactly, this was yes. like the middle of the depression. A hundred thousand dollars in the middle of the depression. It was the kind of thing. It was like a headliner move. Like it, it sent a. It was a. It was the biggest move in baseball. Like one of the biggest because yeah. like, one of just the, the biggest moves. And the Tiger fans, it was huge. Like the owner just went and brought the like the best catcher in baseball to yeah. Detroit. You know. And so it gave, there was a glimmer of like excitement from this. Okay. You know? So they're like, so that was kind Uncle of the Frank turning point. Made a move, you know? <laughs> he, Uncle Frank made a move and brought in this great, you know, Mickey Cochran. Who Mickey Cochran won two World Series and they went to a third. So he was you know, three pennant winners. So he'd done head to head battle with the Yankees, okay. beating them, and you know, in the process, ended up you know winning two World Series and you know only getting beat on a third one. You know, three American League pennants. So he was like one of the greatest, winningest. You know, players in baseball, and he was the heartbeat of that Oakland, of that Philadelphia A's team, which was a, a, an incredible team. 
So anyways, so so it is yeah. So it got excited, but it, the excitement only grew from there. Yeah. In the 1934 spring training, when when uh, when Mickey Cochran gets there, and this this right here is my is I think you know the, this is like just the greatest story. Um, they, Mickey, they ask you know they go to spring training. The, all the reporters, as they normally do, they go to spring training and they you know they give them the fairly bland question. Hey, Mickey, how you think the Tigers are going to do this year? You know, and you know, you know the, the normal sports answer is to go. Oh yeah, you know we're really gonna try hard. We're gonna do the best we can. You know, like this. That's not Mickey Cochran. Did Mickey he point Cochran, to center field? No, in a matter of speaking, yes, he did. <laughs> he said, "We're going to the World Series this year." I love it. We're going to the World Series. We're winning the pennant. And they stay look at him. And they're like, "Mickey, we can't print this." Uh, Mickey, you're in Detroit. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "We can't print this." And he, and what he tells them is this. It's like a famous line. I've got this is back supported by three different uh, you know quotes and his own behavior. What follows? And he's because Mickey says. He says, you know what your problem is? He, I mean, he, he checks these guys. He says, you know what your problem He goes, when I was with the A's, we used to look forward to playing you. He's like, he's like, he's like you guys, he's like, he's like the, your problem is you don't know how to win. And you win by coming out and you and by by believing you're – it starts with believing you're going to, expecting you are, demanding it. You know, I mean, that's where it all starts. You can't – you don't win by just – you know, by just like hoping you do, you do it by demanding it in 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 doing. You know, if you have to crawl through glass to win, you do it. And that was Mickey Cochran, and wow. that's what he brought to this team. And so Mickey comes in, and every single player in this. If you look through this Tiger section, I'm telling you, I think I've got a quote for every single Detroit Tiger player in there, and they all tell him. Or they all give Mickey Cochran the credit for everything that happened next. Wow. Because what yeah, because what happens next is is Mickey comes into spring training and and he and he just and he comes in and he brings the pitchers aside and he's got these young group of pitchers. He's got a few veterans in that too. And he's like but the the biggest star they were all but most of them are like the, the ones that had playing the biggest part were a lot of these young guys, schoolboy Rowe, uh, Eldon Auker, Tommy Bridges. Um and he tells these guys, you know, he's watching them pitching that, and he tells them you are the greatest pitchers I've ever seen. Huh. You're the greatest pitchers I've ever seen. And like these guys in there, especially Eldon Ocker has a great quote, and he says, he says, as a young guy looking up to Mickey Cochran, who'd been won two World Series and just this incredible World, you know, Hall of Fame career. And you know, this is a guy that caught Lefty Grove, who's one of the best pitchers in baseball history. Um, and that at that time was huge. And so there, and he's like, to have this incredible manager. Look at tell us and really say it with the conviction that um, that we're the greatest that he's ever seen and ever yeah. ever seen that we're going to be the greatest pitchers that he'd ever seen. He goes, it really infused us with this sense that we were the greatest and that we uh, were just on our way to becoming that. Were they were they really that were they really as strong or was that just good motivation? Well, that, that's the thing is that he saw something in them, yeah. you know, and he did, and so and he was able to um, to pull the right strings. Like that was it's one of the great things about Mickey was. Is that as the story you know goes in? We talk about these other players, like they're like for instance, like um, Schoolboy Row, who became like the sensation. Schoolboy Row is the sensation of baseball, <laughs> not love, just the Tigers. I love the names. Yeah, Schoolboy Row. So, anyways, <clears throat> um, so you have Schoolboy Row in this whole Schoolboy Row. Mickey, so Mickey was a was a was a psychologist. He was a catcher, but he was like a psychologist. He like he knew how to get the most out of all these pitchers and how to get them to pitch the best. And so, for instance, Schoolboy Row. Um, Schoolboy Row, he like he was totally easy on Schoolboy. Like, 
oh, schoolboy, is everything okay? You know, can I get you? you know, like, you know, like, don't worry about that last when the guy golfed a home run into the, <laughs> you know, into the trees until 300 feet. Or, he's like, he's like, you know, don't worry about that schoolie. We'll get him next time, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on, conversely, Eldon Ocker, you know, schoolie needed, that's what he needed was like somebody just go, it's okay, schoolie, it'll be fine. But for Eldon Ocker, yeah. he was sit, he'd say, he'd tell me, like, Eldon Ocker would strike somebody out and he'd be like, what are you doing? That last pitch was two inches too high. You know, you got lucky. <laughs> On that. You know, he rode him incessantly wow. because he knew that Eldon Ocker That's pitched well when he was mad, when he was trying to prove something. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. there was like different psychologies for each pitcher, and that's just one of the many things that Mickey brought to the table. And and so that was just the turning point, and then the Tigers went. And, yeah, I mean, and they so, did what he said. They won the World Series. Yeah, but well, it's it's not as no. There's much, so, more, much, much. Yeah, more and we're gonna that. we're gonna get into that. Yeah, but the but the idea was the the, the overall concept is is that coming out of spring training, like all he would yeah. preach to them was this: is that we are going to win. Yeah, we are going to win. That's all he said. That was his entire mantra: we are going to win. He taught them all all these different like plays to run. Um, you know, so like when a guy was on second, they would do this and these different like strategies and stuff. So he was more than just a catcher. He was, oh, he was he the manager. Man- oh, absolutely. Oh, he was he ran manager. everything. Okay. Yeah. He ran everything. And so he, and so, um, so he like taught him all these plays and then their first spring training game against the Yankees, he told these players, he said, I don't want you talking to any of these guys. Don't talk to any of them. He said, we're, he goes, we're here to beat the crap out of these guys yeah. and then get out of town and beat the crap out of the next people. Right. That's, we're not here. We're not here. To make any friends, we don't we don't like these guys. We screw these guys. That's what his mentality was. He was yeah. a winner in every sense of the word, and so he so that was his whole thing. So um, it was even Billy uh, Bill, Billy Rogel who comes who the shortstop for the Tigers, who um, who even said he said he his, if I can see if I can quote him all the time I have. But he says um, he says he uh, he believed. He believed, and he believed in us, and he, he said he, he, he believed that we were going to win, and he made us believe that we were going to win also. And he said, and when we came out of, this is Bill Regal, he says, when we came out of spring training in 1934, we played like we believed, and, and, the, and he said, and we, and, and we won, and we, and we began to win, and right from the get, right from the get-go, they were winning. And so they came right out of spring training playing like world beaters in 1934. And so all of a sudden when they're coming out and they're winning games and they're at the top of the league, they're top of the league, they're battling with the Yankees, beating the Yankees, they're at the top of the league, you know, and all these guys. And one of the great things was this is, you know, before this is another little element we can add to the sports landscape of Detroit was Hank Greenberg in 1934. The great Hank Greenberg. Nobody nobody knew who Hank Greenberg was before 1934. (laughs) I still don't know who Hank Greenberg is. Hank Greenberg was their first baseman. He's a Hall of (laughs) Famer. Fair play, okay. Hall of Famer's names on the, on the wall. The two really oh. – of all the sports stars in the 1930s, really the, the, the handful that have come down to us, there's really five major stars that people remember. Joe Lewis, of course. Um, and, from, from, and then you have for the Tigers, the, the really the only, the, the only two players that really emerged. Even Mickey Cochran has been forgotten. Yeah. Um, even Mickey Cochran. Like his name is on the Tiger wall, but it's only – I believe it's a um, – um, it's an honored member. It's not like his number's retired or anything. Yeah. And so, and in fact, that's one of the things, the cases I want to make eventually is why his number should be retired. But, um, but anyways, uh, so the, and for the Tigers, the two big names were Charlie Gehringer, who came, who was their second baseman, who was an, with the best second baseman in baseball at the time. I mean, you could make a case. Tony Lazari was, was, was close. I mean, Tony Lazari was an incredible second baseman for the Yankees, but, 
Um, you think you would have to give the edge to, to Charlie Gehringer for the second for the second base, and then Hank Greenberg at first was. Those are the two guys that modern day fans would you know de- you know that, that would would definitely know. Um, for the Lions, you have Dutch Clark, and for the Red Wings, you have virtually none that anybody remembers, and that is one of the great shames. Yeah, They're, none of their jerseys are retired in the rafters of huh. of, of, of the arena. Um, but some of the greatest names were from this time. So, all right. So the the, the Tigers, the 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 energy's there. It's moving up. Yep. Uh, they go on to win, and we'll we'll spend a couple episodes yeah, on that season. Deep, get, and that, <laughs> and but you mentioned deep, yeah. the Lions. We don't have the Lions. The Lions don't yeah. exist. Yeah. So how do they go from not existing? How do we get exactly. the Lions? Exactly. That's so. That's that's you know. Um, so the idea is that the, so the Detroit Tigers come out of the gate in 1934, and they're and the Detroit fandom is just awakened. I mean, when the Tigers are winning, Mickey Cochran's like, "We're gonna win. We're going to the World Series. We're going to the World Series." Like he's made believers not only out of the team but out of the city. Nice. And so the city is just rocking for Detroit. I mean, like every once in a while, like when the Tigers are down for a while, and all of a sudden they win. It's like you've seen it for yourself. Yeah. Detroit goes. Tiger Mania, <laughs> and that's what happened in 1934. It was Detroit Tiger Mania. So, in the midst of this, in 19, at the end of 1933, as far as the NFL is concerned, yeah. there was a there's a city in, called Portsmouth, Ohio, um, and there was a team called the Portsmouth Spartans, who were one of the best NFL teams. They mm. were incredibly good. They were really good. They're really the three best teams in the NFL at that time were the Packers, the Bears, and the Spartans. Those are the three best teams. You could throw the Giants in there a little bit, the New York Giants. You could throw them into the mix a little bit. But, um, but those were the three teams that were really battling for the number one every single year. And so, and so anyways, at the end of the, the problem for, for the Portsmouth Spartans was is as good as they were, the town, the Great Depression had just ravaged this town. And, um, and so they, uh, and so the, the team, so that, so they couldn't support the team anymore. Yeah. And the team was like the, the players were all owed money. They like, they were been, had been given stocks and bonds in the team for, for half a year at that point already. So the team was dismantled. was, the team was broken up. But then with the, with the, with the Detroit coming alive with sports enthusiasm, a whole new idea shifts and, um, and, the, and, the, and so the idea – so George Richards, who was uh, the, uh, the owner of a WJR radio in Detroit, he, um, he, he, uh, he comes up with the, with the idea of – I believe it was his idea, but he, he becomes a, the principal owner of the, of the, of the Lions. So they, the idea is they move the Portsmouth Spartans uh, to Detroit, but they couldn't call them the Spartans right. um, because uh, the, the idea was they wanted to associate this team with – the Tigers. That oh, okay. was the goal because huh. it, because they wanted to take advantage of the sports enthusiasm right, in Detroit. Right, right. And yeah. so if you're gonna, so if you're want to uh, you know, associate with the with the Tigers, you know, keep with the jungle theme of the city. I don't know, maybe a name like the Lions. Yeah, maybe, maybe. You know, maybe that would work. Yeah. So that was the idea was to you know, to, in, but in, to further that marketing cause, their the best player on the on the Spartans who actually hadn't played the previous year with them because he because he was not getting paid. He was one of the great superstars in the NFL at the time, Dutch Clark. And Dutch Clark, they the uh, they ended up billing him as the, marketing him as the Thai Cobb of football, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. from a marketing strategy, you're, sure. you know, you're bringing in this new NFL team, this full of great players, because that was that was the goal. It's like you have this great team if they can come over to Detroit and not just be a team, but win like the Tigers yeah. are winning to take advantage or to try to draw the enthusiasm yeah. there, you know, from one season to the next. And so now you got uh, Dutch Clark, the Ty Cobb of football. Uh, There's a new Ty Cobb in Detroit because Ty Cobb had retired. Yeah, yeah Ty Cobb okay. was long gone. He left the Tigers in 1926, and he retired in 1928, just a couple years after that. Um, 
But now all of a sudden, there's a new Ty Cobb in Detroit. Yeah. But he doesn't play baseball. He no. plays football. You got to come over to uh, University of Detroit Stadium to watch the new Ty. You know, the, to watch the new Ty Cobb. So that, that was the idea: was that the Lions were were came in Detroit as you know, you know, as a you know to, to take advantage of this newfound sports enthusiasm. And the Lions were tremendous in their first year, 1934. Yeah. Uh, they went their first seven games. They didn't have to give up a single point. Wow. They won their first ten games, and then they faded at the end of the year. So they yeah, just yeah. missed out on the NFL championship in 1934, just like the Tigers missed out at the end of 1935 when the team, the Tigers went to seven games and lost in the set in one of those heartbreaking fashions. Uh. I met this lady. Uh, I met this lady at an art show um, who is I, th- I forgot how she, she was at least in her like 90s and. Um, and they were saying, and she was saying, like, she remembered it. She said she remembered when the Tigers lost that seventh game, and she says she still has not gotten over it. <laughs> Even when they went to win wow. the World Series in 1935, yeah. she said it broke their hearts so bad in 1934 to lose that um, – to lose that – the 34 one yeah. that it was like she said it was just heartbreaking you know because they'd gone so far Mickey would be like we're going to win we're going to win we're going to win they go all the way to the 34 World Series seven games they were actually leading at one point in the series and then they lose in the seventh game horribly mm. they had like a bunch of errors and the game just fell apart you know they got blown out they're like you know, it was just a it ripped their hearts out, man. You know, so anyways, it was on that. You know, that was the whole thing. The Red Wings were the Red Wings in, in thirty four, thirty five were not good. They did not do. They were sure. And so the stage was set for yeah. nineteen thirty five because the, the off season of thirty five. They asked Mickey Cochran. You know, the, the the you know now the spring training is jammed with reporters. Jammed yeah, with people. Yeah, they yeah, asked yeah, Mickey yeah. Cochran, "Hey, Mickey, how you think you're going to do in thirty five? You know, it was a joke because they all knew <laughs> his response was, yeah. "We're going to win the World Series this year, right? Yeah, this yeah. time we're going to win it." And so, you know, that was the idea was that so 1935 was one of the most anticipated baseball seasons in Detroit in the history of the city. Like there was entire I've got articles at the end of the uh, second book. I've got articles that that uh, that are literally it's just a, it's it's a whole section in um in the appendix that's just about Detroit sports fans in 1935, just to show like the kind of mania there was. I mean, there was literally caravans of buses going down to Florida for spring training. Everybody was there. All Detroit, like other sports stars, other celebrities, Detroit celebrities, everybody was going down there. It was the biggest thing to go down to spring training. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, like I say, because it was just the most anticipated season that there was. And, and, and so the Red Wings were not, uh, you know, unaware of this. And, they're yeah. like, and they knew that this was an opportunity if they themselves could tie in into this excitement, then they could be part of this joy too. <laughs> Maybe get some people cheering for them there in their you stadium. Go. Yeah. Exactly. So this might be their moment to yeah. turn the ship around for their organization. And so the and so the, the right off the bat in nineteen in that off season of 34-35, um uh uh um the, you know the owner the owner goes out and um uh, James Norris goes out. James Norris goes out the uh, to, and he you know they recognize they need this thing. And so over the course of over the course of you know before the Red Wings would eventually win the Stanley Cup, they would turn over uh, off the time. I think it was uh, thirteen players off their roster. They oh. needed all new guys. They needed a whole thing. And so the very first thing that they did, you hear did, that Stevie freshen it up. Yeah. All right. So 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 anyways so so um so yeah so Norris the, one of the first things they do sort like almost like. You know, akin to the Detroit Tigers, yeah. they went out and spent fifty thousand okay. dollars to bring in two two young stars, wow. Sid Howe and Sid Howe and um, Scotty Bowman. Which those two names sort of sound bring resonance or familiar, but they're, neither one are uh, neither one are um, related related to anybody that like Sid was not related to Gordy Howe. 
and um, and Scotty Bowles not not related to the amount of Scotty. But the thing is about it was for fifty thousand dollars, the Red Wings had just done what the really the Tigers had done by the flashy move of getting Mickey Cochran. Now they're like, we're in the game. We're just yeah. fifty thousand dollars on these two guys. We're ready to win too, you know. And so the stage was set for this incredible season. And then nineteen thirty-five, thirty-three different championships. It's just dominoes. The big dominoes. big three: baseball, football, and, and hockey. Yep. Um, out of the three, you consider yourself a hockey guy, a football guy, or a baseball guy? Uh, I would have to, you know, that's a, I would have to. I mean, I would have to say baseball. Yeah. I would have to say baseball. It, I mean, it baseball seems when is, we talk, you, you I have talk a, whole a lot about other thing. Yeah, I have a whole other project besides this, which is baseball analytics. You're, it's, you're passionate yeah, like a about baseball too, type thing. Yeah, so it's the so baseball is my thing. Yeah. Thirty three championships. Um, because today you talk about major sports, and it's uh, there's a fourth in there, basketball, mm-hmm. and and there's like I, we haven't really mentioned any basketball. What yeah. what why why no basketball? Uh, pro basketball really wasn't is from what I've understand. I mean, like, like from like really the pro basketball was was if it even existed anywhere, it was in its extreme infancy. Like okay. I'm talking about in the cradle. You yeah, know, yeah. It was like I mean, there was basketball existed, yeah, yeah, but it was a much different game, much different, like. It was a little bit more of a physical sport, you know. It was much more. Um, it wasn't like it is where you see now anywhere near what it is now. Sure. So there wasn't a championship really to be had at that. Exactly. Point. If the, but I actually say in the book, I actually say in there, I like if the Detroit Pistons were around in 1935, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that they would have won their championship too. Just had to. Me, they would have won it. Yeah. Like, All I'm right. Pretty sure they would have got it. Detroit City of Champions. We're going to dive into these players and these people and these teams uh, and the seasons. Coming up on, on future episodes, let's run down some of the other people. We mentioned Garwood. Uh, Garwood was a big one. Yeah. Motorsports on the water. Mm-hmm. Um, Speedball racing. World record, for speed, world record for speed on water and the um, Harmsworth Trophy, which was the most coveted trophy in the world at that time. All right. Yep, so, and then you said the Red Wings, but then also there was like a junior Red Wings. Exactly. There was, um, yeah. Yeah, it was called the Detroit Olympics. Okay. And so at that time, it's, it's rare that a it's rare that a minor league team plays in the same city, or especially given they almost they're at the same stadium as the major league club. But the but the Detroit Olympics were um, uh, regard the Jack Adams, the GM and coach of the the Red Wings. He uh, he wanted to keep a close eye. He wanted to develop this team in his own image. He wanted to, you know these players, so that's why he kept them at Olympia. Um, and also, you know, like to keep the registers, t- you know, turning when even when they had city when they were on the road, they could still draw revenue for the for the building. But but yeah, that's one of the great stories in the thing because the Red Wings um, and uh, the Red Wings when when the Red Wings win their first championship, they won it in Toronto, mm-hmm. and so they, they celebrated you know into the night, of course. But the, but they got in that train and they made it back. They made it back to Detroit with all haste because the very next day, yeah. the Olympics, the Detroit Red Wings minor league team, the Olympics win their first or they, not their first, but they they won their championship as well wow. the ne- very next day. Ugh. So there was not just one professional championship in Detroit in, 19- in, in the season. There was two. Oh, my God. See what I'm saying? Like, they're literally the major and minor league team, one within a day of each other. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's like literally every sport. All right. Joe Lewis had some amazing bouts. Uh, and on his rise, I see a tennis player up there. Yep. There's actually two. Constance O'Donovan and Esther Pulitzer. All right. And yep. then uh, Pulitzer? Yeah. P- Pulitzer. There Pulitzer. Two, women's, All right. women's doubles tennis champion. I see some track folks. 
Yep, yeah, some track and field guys. Yeah, Bill Bonthron's over there. Yeah, we've got there's you know there's we have Eddie Tolan. So Bill Bonthron was a was more a little bit more of a distance runner. Okay, and then Eddie Tolan was a sprinter. He was he won the 1935 Sprint Championship in Australia, <laughs> okay. professional sprint. And he'd won he won two gold medals at the 1932 Olympics too. Very famous. Like people that dive a little bit deeper into Detroit sports history, like you know some of that stuff. Eddie Tolan's a big name. You know, All like, right. like he's a big name um, for people that dive a little. We'll do an episode on on him oh, and, yeah. and some there's of these so guys. So many great stories. There's so, so many great you know. Is there like a shooting and a, is there archery? Everything, yeah. We got um, yep. We got oh, Henry Boy Jr. for skeet shooting champion. <laughs> and one, one of, some of the guys are not listed was the D- D- Detroit pistol shooting. Uh, there was Detroit. The there was a uh, national uh, p- uh, like police uh, pistol shooting championship. <laughs> okay, Detroit police swept it. Like they had in, the best individual winners. They had the like team winners. I mean, I have the whole thing in it. Like, it's, there's you wouldn't believe it. They're like, and they actually said like the writers like, isn't it a nice you know consolation for us to know that you know our Detroit police are like the marksmen, <laughs> you know? So. Maybe maybe we'll get some uh, Detroit cops in here to talk with us yeah. when we do that one. Well, yeah, there's a lot of stories of the Detroit police. Like they used to have all kinds of different like events, like Detroit like like fundraising events and stuff that like yeah. I'm not even sure how much they do them anymore. But they used to be like all like civic pride type events, you know. We talked to Joe uh, Joe Lewis. We'll talk about Joe Lewis. We'll yeah, do a, at definitely. least a show oh, based yeah. on God, on Joe Lewis. So many you can talk uh, about when we him. do, we'll have uh, Joe Lewis Barrow Jr. the sure. third with us. Yeah. We'll get JoJo in here. Yeah. We were working with the folks with uh, Joe Lewis Bourbon on our other yeah. podcast. So we'll get uh, we've been talking to JoJo with the Bourbon stuff. So we'll get JoJo in here when we talk about yeah. uh, Joe Lewis. Yeah. Um, a couple other championships really tough. They're kind of, you know, quirky or interesting whatever. You have, yeah. you know, the, of course the the 1935 World Checkers champion is from Detroit Newell Banks. <laughs> one of one of the greatest, you know, checkers and chess players of all time, but you know, made money by playing blindfold and beating people blindfolded. Um, and then, uh, and then you have the the Strolls Bowling Champion. Strolls Bowling Team was the was the the, the ABC uh, bowling champions. The first beer sponsored beer sponsored bowling team to win, you know, to win a championship. You know, to set that. You know, they they created. They they were the ones that like laid like the the, the foundation for like beer companies to sponsor bowling clubs. And it yeah. was like that Strolls Bowling Team. I can't wait to talk about them because. Is Corey's like, oh, we got this bowling team, Tammy. But like, th- like that team was one of the greatest bowling teams ever assembled <laughs> in, the, in Detroit in the 1950s and 60s. The D- Detroit became like synonymous with um, with bowling, bowling for dollars. And it, and it all and it, and the Strolls Bowling Team was the thing to be on. Like you wanted to get on that Strolls Bowling Team so you could be like make your way like through the Detroit like you know scene or whatever professional uh, bowling circuit. Yeah, heading down to the Palladium Lanes and him. Yeah, cramming. there's a lot to it. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like you know, to answer the one question you had is like. This was like the birth of the Detroit sports concept. Uh-huh. Like the Strolls bowling team gave rise to the you know the golden age of bowling in Detroit and all this other <laughs> stuff. So, uh, Detroit City of Champions is a trilogy of books. Charles Avison again. That's yeah, uh, this. Detroit this City was of Champions.com, it. Yeah. When I, when I talked to you at that art fair, I'm like, holy crap! This cat is yeah. dynamic. Yeah. The, the story is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and then. Matt and I launched these podcast studios here, Podcast Detroit in Northville, and I was, it's like we gotta. It's it's I go like people need to tell stories. I go, I know a guy who needs to yeah, tell a story. I got some stories to and tell. I called you up and you said, Yeah, let's tell these yeah. stories. So I, I'm so glad you're letting me along for the ride because no, I, I if I say anything stupid, everybody everybody please forgive me because. <laughs> Uh, I don't know anything about sports, but I just enjoy the history. I love the way yeah, you tell a story. Yeah, yeah. I love how excited you get about yeah. it. And I'm excited about the diving into the rest of these stories. All right, so Detroit City of Champions, uh, it's a website, DetroitCityOfChampions.com. Yep. Uh, and that's the easiest, best place to f- try yeah. to find the books. Yeah, you can. Yeah, Because if the power goes out and when the – because, you know, with – 
the world the way it is here yeah. in 2020, yeah. you know, it, it, we're going for a total shutdown very yeah. soon. So you want hard copies of this to be yeah, able to read. Don't trust <laughs> the internet for your, you're like, that's what I'm saying. Like, Entertain this, yourself. Yeah, if they're like, yeah, we don't want to But all the primary disappear. sources you went to and you pulled from all these primary sources. So you have all these in these books and yeah. it's just rich with pictures that yeah. that are just have been, if you haven't, if you didn't recover these things, they'd be lost. There's this incredible plaque that we'll do a whole episode yeah, on, the, the, on the memorable that, yeah. memorable plaque that was was lost mm-hmm. uh, and and just buried and and yeah. how it made its way back into the Incre- into yeah, the museum. It really is an incredible story. That, that, I mean, like I want it. Like I wrote a screenplay for a movie. I actually got it sitting right back here. You can kind of see it tucked back here. Yeah. So we got a movie ready to go for to do like a Netflix miniseries and everything. Um, but uh, um, I wanted to do. I wanted. There's a, a component that I, I actually want to sort of add to it. You know, when it, if we redo a rewrite or a little bit more to the screenplay, which is literally just following the story of this plaque that was commemorated, that was that was carved just to commission just for this. Just for this story. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was signed by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. It was signed by every governor in the country recognizing Detroit as a city of champions. And it had this incredible journey. It, it vanished. I mean, yeah. nobody know, like nobody even knew it was like it was in the, it was almost like Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, where it was basically uncovered in a box in the basement of the Detroit Historical Museum. Right. And were like, what is But this how it thing? got there. And yeah, don't, don't spoil it. Jur- I'm not going to. But We're going to get like there. The journey of how it got there. I know. Was, is just incredible. So, I, I mean, know. There's, there's some, I think there's some really great stories. I'm, and I'm there. just glad to be on here. I'm glad to yeah. have a different format because, like, yeah, yeah. again, like a lot of the times I tell the story, it's usually in like little, you know, two to four minute sound bites at, at art shows and you know, at, like you know, at, you know, libraries. I do some talks and this and that, but um, you know, I always start at the beginning of the story for every time. Every time it's always from the beginning of the story, which is All fine. Right. I love telling the story, but I, I'm looking forward to diving deeper into it. Yeah, you know, bringing the just, audience uh, along. You know, anybody yeah. that's like a, a repeat viewer, um, bring you know, because there's so much to explore. It's just such. I mean, it's 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 so much important stuff to explore, not there just is. like you know random little things. And, and the city needs it. The city, the city, so, we need right? it. And just uh, and we need it. It's it's yeah. Uh, it's yeah. We need we need good vibes. So, uh, but people will listen because they're going to stop right now and they're going to go and subscribe. Yeah. Uh, nice. If you would do us that favor, do us that kind honor of uh, subscribing, uh, it helps. And then uh, leave a comment if you could. We truly, genuine, genuinely appreciate it. Detroit City of Champions. Uh, there's a Facebook page, uh, and uh, you know me, uh, DJJamieDetroit.com is all my crazy business. You can follow on, on all the socials. Uh, follow us there and see what's going on. So DetroitCityOfChampions.com for you. And uh, that's it. Detroit City of Champions. There's one of the books. That's one number one. Yeah, great. All right. Thanks, Charles. Yeah, my pleasure, man. That was fun.